Interested in taking a deep dive each week into a compliance or compliance-related topic? Then Compliance Into the Weeds is the podcast for you. Join Matt Kelly, the coolest guy in compliance, and Tom Fox, the voice of compliance, as they go into the weeds to flesh out a story which you can use to better inform your compliance program. Both you and your compliance program will be the better for listening to this podcast. Compliance Into the Weeds is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. In this episode, Matt Kelly and I take a deep dive into recent comments by two of the five commissioners of the SEC regarding the need for more robust compliance, and also take a look at the former CCO at Apple's alleged attempted bribery in California. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, the voice of compliance, back again with Matt Kelly, the coolest guy in compliance for another episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. We have a very special treat for you today, so wait till the end and do not leave in the middle of this podcast. So, Matt, you wrote a really interesting blog post that I thought had a lot of meat and actually lots of issues for the compliance profession entitled SEC Warning on Insider Stock Sales. Could you tell us about it? Yeah, Tom. So this was a rather unusual uh, speech uh, effort, I guess. We can call it a charm offensive maybe by two top officials at the Securities and Exchange Commission where the chairman, Jay Clayton, and Bill Hinman, who is the director of the Division of Corporation Finance. Uh, so he is not a commissioner, but he is one of the senior most internal SEC employees who is not a commissioner. But Hinman and Clayton last week uh, both gave separately speeches talking about the same subject, which was how companies should apply internal controls to stock sales that their corporate insiders might be doing. So that would be board directors, CEOs, CFOs, anybody else who would qualify as a corporate insider with a large amount of equity compensation, options, or uh, share grants or something like that, um, and how they can sell their shares into the market without violating insider trading law. Uh, now, this gets a little bit complicated, but follow along because it's some really interesting stuff that Hinman and Clayton were saying. But traditionally, to absolve yourself or inoculate yourself from any um, allegations of insider trading trouble, a company would adopt what is known as a 10B51 plan. Now, that is a plan where the executive has a set schedule of we are going to sell this many shares at this price on these dates, once a month, once a quarter, or something like that. But everything is all planned out well in advance of the actual sales. So that includes the share price sale. And uh, then obviously, if you are planning that out in advance, you don't actually know what the stock will be worth on the day of the sale. So these 10B51 plans are meant to help um, inoculate you from any uh, violation of insider trading rules because, hey, I'm an insider, but I planned all this out many, many months before anything came along that would indicate I had some sort of insider knowledge and I was dumping my stock or I was selling it to make a killing or anything like that. So here we have these 10B5 plans. And why is that in the news? Well, Specifically, just the other week, the CEO of Pfizer, Albert Bourla, he sold five and a half million dollars worth of Pfizer shares on the same day that Pfizer announced the results of its COVID vaccine, which were wildly successful. 
And everybody said, oh, well, you know, what is this all about then? Is there something hinky going on? Is this insider trading or whatnot? We should be clear, it's not. He did this according to a 10B51 plan. So there is no insider trading shenanigans going on with Borla's stock sales. But we do have that question, that appearance, um, the, the giving the rise to some questions about potential impropriety. And that was what led Hinman and Clayton to talk about um, how you would have good insider, good internal controls around the sale of insider shares. Um, not Borla specifically, but this issue of when should you be selling shares? Should you put pause on any of your pre-planned shares, even if it's um, according to that 10B51 plan? Should you maybe pause those sales if? material non-public information is suddenly comes to the company's possession how does all that work so that's what hinman and clayton were talking about and what makes it interesting is that in october uh, the sec actually fined a different company uh, tom one of the energy firms down in texas his name is the company's name was endeavor um, which has since sold itself into marathon petroleum but the sec fined endeavor $20 million for poor internal controls around its 10B51 plans and its CEO's sale of insider stock while the merger talks with Marathon Petroleum were ongoing. And this created some controversy. And what you really don't see and what's newsworthy is that Clayton's fellow Republican commissioners, Hester Pierce and Elide Roisman, they put out their own statements saying, we disagree with this penalty of $20 million because they were using the internal control provisions of the FCPA, which says you must have accurate books and records and all of that fun stuff that we all know. Um, you must have ac accurate books and records and effective internal accounting controls and Endeavor did not over its insider stock sales, except you know, an insider's sale of stock is not part of corporate accounting. And Pierce and Roisman were not wrong to say, why are we doing this? This, you know, uh, FCPA's internal accounting provisions are supposed to apply to corporate accounting, which is not an insider selling shares that he or she owns. So what are we doing here? They published that statement last week or two weeks ago. And then right away, Hinman and Clayton come out with their own speeches a couple of days later essentially giving the same warnings to companies that, no, really, you do need to have effective internal control over your 10B51 plans and insider stock sales. Um, so it was a very odd juxtaposition. You don't usually see Republican commissioners or commissioners of the same political party at odds over an enforcement action. And then comes Hinman and Clayton mounting this charm offensive with different speeches around the country to say that, no, really, you do need this, while other Republicans are saying, no, we shouldn't. And um, that's a long-winded way of kind of laying the ground. But here we are. So, Matt, let me pick up on one of the last points uh, around the comments of Hester Pierce and Elad Roisman, because I thought Clayton uh, responded to their criticism uh, quite well, and you quoted it in your blog post, and I want to read it here. Uh, a well-designed insider trading program should have controls in place to prevent senior executives and members of the board of directors from trading once a company is in, in possession of material non-public information, even if that individual officer or director did not personally have knowledge. And that uh, strikes me as a well-thought-out, well 
reasoned approach to internal controls around it, but it also not only answers the specific or tactical question raised by Pearson Roisman, but also uh, to me answers or responds to why they are incorrect by asserting that <clears throat> simply because uh, it was a quote internal accounting controls. No, it was just internal controls and they can apply to compliance. They can apply to insider trading and they can certainly apply to finance and accounting. But if you look at 98% of internal controls, they cover more than simply <clears throat> just accounting or just simply finance. And so it's a, a firm basis for not only uh, the FCPA violation in terms of ineffective internal controls, but even to 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 me, it points towards the COSO 2013 framework around internal controls, which demonstrated to me that internal controls could be broad enough to handle a variety of uh, legal requirements as well. Well, yeah, and we're splitting hairs here over the language, but then this is a legal issue, so that's what we do. Um, you're correct that the COSO internal control framework was designed for internal control over any sort of an issue, and that could be financial reporting, anti-bribery, it could be cybersecurity, it could be any number of things. Um, on the other hand, uh, Commissioners Pierce and Roisman are sticklers for, I guess you would say, originalist interpretation of uh, the law. And the law clearly says, and the guidance from the Justice Department, the FCPA Resource Guide says, internal accounting controls, accounting controls. The word is there, right between internal and control. And so their argument is that this is about accounting, and accounting controls are for corporate accounts and financial reporting, not for an executive's sale of uh, shares that he or she owns. I tend to agree that in the best interests of keeping faith and uh, good appearance to the public and investors and employees and others, yes, you should have effective internal controls over your insider stock sales. And if we want to use the FCPA provisions to get that done and use it as an enforcement mechanism, I'm okay with that. Um, clearly, Pierce and Roisman are not, and Clayton is. And even though Clayton is going to be leaving the commission at the end of the month, we are going to get a Democratic chairman come um, January 20th when the Biden administration takes over and we're going to have a Democratic-led commission. So this is not going to go away. What happened with Endeavor and the penalty it got because it had poor internal control over its insider stock sales and its 10B51 plans, like, that's going to keep being a thing. Uh, and I was struck that when Hinman and Clayton gave really word for word the same speech about this issue within two days of each other to two different audiences, they are saying, folks, this is here to stay. You have to pay attention to this. Um, and I would encourage compliance officers to take Clayton and Hinman at their word. Matt, there was another part of the Clayton-Hinman dialogue that I found extraordinarily interesting. And it almost broke down into a values-based ethics and compliance program as opposed to a rules-based ethics and compliance program. And I was wondering if you could uh, give a few words about that dichotomy. Yeah, so this was a point that Hinman raised, um, which Clayton did not. But when you lay out their speeches or these sections of their speeches next to each other, which I did, they are essentially word for word right up until here. But I don't think 
Hinman went off the reservation against Clayton's wishes to say this. I'm sure that Clayton would agree with what Hinman said, which was this. Uh, there is a common, simple principle at play in these examples. That principle is that companies, management teams, and their boards and advisors are well served when they ask, what should we do rather than what can we do as they seek to comply with the federal securities law? Um which I think probably gets at what you and I were just talking about with Commissioners Pierce and Roisman, who were basically saying the law lets the company not pay attention to these issues because it says accounting controls. And Hinman is basically saying, even if that is the correct interpretation, which he does not believe it is, neither do you, Tom, neither do I, but even if you believe that, there's still the reality that this kind of stinks. And if people, the investors and uh, the general public out there believe that 10B51 plans are some way for executives to be too clever by half and still make a killing on insider intel, even though it's not really insider information, like that is a ill-informed perception of what 10B5 plans are. But look, the investors think what they think. So what could you do beyond what the law says to convince investors that you are on the up and up. You could introduce some good practices like what Hinman and Clayton had been saying um, to make sure that people trust you are acting in an ethical way. Um, now, how exactly would you do that? I'm not sure. I was really intrigued by that idea that um, a good, well-controlled 10B51 plan would prevent share sales Whenever the company has material non-public information, even if the executive doesn't know it, that the information is out there, well, from a compliance perspective, I'm wondering, how would you catch that? How would you, the compliance officer, know that fresh non material non-public information has arrived? How would you intercept the stock sale? How would you make sure your broker-dealer firm running the sale doesn't know that? Like, This seems to me to be a tricky sort of a thing to control. But Hinman and Clayton both gave that as a really good example of this is what they mean. So, again, like, folks, they're telling us what they want. Take them at their word for it and read what they said and, like, figure out how to do it. Because Endeavor apparently did not figure it out, and they wound up $20 million poorer because of it. Let me ask you a little bit broader policy question, and it's certainly broader than uh, this specific SEC issue, Matt. We saw the uh, OCC and Fed – a fine Citigroup and Citibank for basically having ineffective compliance programs and without pointing to any specific compliance failures. Um, the Endeavor case uh, seemed to me to be, you could argue that it focused on ineffective compliance programs through ineffective internal controls. It, could this be maybe a change in how regulators are thinking about compliance programs and that they need to be shown to be effective or there's a potential for a fine and penalty? I don't know. Um, I would like to see more enforcement actions along the Endeavor lines before we make a statement like that. I mean, to be clear, I'd prefer that nobody has any enforcement actions because we're all just perfect angels. But anyways, uh, here in the real world, I don't recall seeing an enforcement action like what we saw with Endeavor where uh, the loosey-goosey approach to who knew what material non-public information during a merger um, and then the, the intersection with the 10B51 plan and the stock sales, 
it was a mess and it resulted in a penalty. Now, I don't know if that is just because that was such an egregious case that it warranted a penalty or there is some heightened new scrutiny of compliance departments that the SEC is now pushing. And we're going to see more of these in the future. Uh, Right now, we only have one point of data to discuss what does this mean. And it's the Endeavor case. And you can't figure out what it means with just one point of data. Um, On the other hand, we have these two speeches where Hinman and Clayton are clearly laying out what they would like to see in the future. I'm hard pressed to believe any future Democratic SEC chairman or division of corporation finance director are going to say something substantively different or go in a different direction that, no, you don't need to pay attention to insider uh, share sales and 10B51 plans. That makes no sense. Um, So I I just keep on focusing on look at what they're saying for what they want with an effective internal control over this particular niche of corporate governance, whether that is you, the compliance officer, or the corporate secretary, or the legal department. I don't know who's going to be in charge of it. I would say the compliance officer is probably would do well to know just somebody's got to be in charge of it. And you might want to ask around at your company about who will be in charge of this. Um, If you are sufficiently large, you probably have a lawyer who is dedicated to insider trading issues. If you are not sufficiently large, it's probably whoever looks back at you in the mirror is going to wind up being in charge of this. So everybody listening will have to answer that on their own. But Clayton and Hinman are clearly saying, you're going to need to have an answer because we're looking at this. And while it's a moment in time of who's saying it, I don't think the issue is going to go away into 2021 and beyond. Uh, now, uh, for our listeners, as we promised, uh, we have a story that probably could not happen in any year other than 2020. Uh, this is so fantastical, so screwy. Uh, you're going to think we made it up, but we didn't. So with that long-winded introduction, Matt, let us have it. Yeah, so this is breaking news for the Compliance Into the Weeds podcast. This happened about 10 minutes before Tom and I started recording this on Monday afternoon, that uh, a grand jury in Santa Clara County in California indicted the one of the top compliance executives at Apple on a bribery charge for apparently, according to the indictment, offering 200 iPads to officers in the Santa Clara County Sheriff's Department in exchange for concealed carry permits. I'll give you all a moment to absorb that. Uh, but what happened here, the uh, man in question, the Apple executive, is Tom Moyer, who is currently global head of security for Apple. He had been chief compliance officer at Apple from 2009 through 2018. And according to the indictments, uh, two men at the Santa Clara, Santa Clara County Sheriff's Department uh, were looking to basically shake down local business executives for goodies in exchange for concealed carry permits. And the indictment against Moyer and these other men says that uh, Moyer was looking for four concealed carry permits for Apple employees. I presume that these are probably security officers who would have need for weaponry. I, I don't know all those details. Um, but he was looking for the concealed carry permits. The sheriff's officers, officers demanded a bribe. Um, and the bribe was 200 iPads, which would had a value of around $70,000. 
Um, this all happened apparently in sometime in 2019. And uh, at some point, uh, Tom Moyer and the sheriff deputies involved uh, became aware that the district attorney was investigating this matter and had executed a search warrant uh, in relation to the sheriff's office and these potential bribes. So they never actually went through with it, but they were conspiring to do the bribe. Um, that's all from the um, in facts laid out or the allegations laid out by the Santa Clara County District Attorney and by the indictment that they released on Monday afternoon. Tom, I don't know what else to say about this because I did not actually ever expect that top compliance executive at largest Apple or largest electronics manufacturer in the world would be brought up on a bribery charge. But here we are. Well, the um, this really is breaking news. There has not been a public comment from Tom Moyer uh, yet or Apple, although uh, Moyer's attorney in a statement to Apple Insider is quoted as saying, Tom Moyer is innocent of the charges filed against him. He did nothing wrong and has acted with the highest integrity through his career. We have no doubt that he will be acquitted at trial. The uh, Morgan Hill Times reported that the two, there was a two-year investigation into corruption and bribery at the Santa Clara Sheriff's Office, and it's ongoing and more indictments uh, may be issued. Um, so uh, this really is, I don't know if it's 2020. I don't know if when Matt told me this story, I, I cannot repeat because it's a PG podcast what I said, but needless to say, it was about the most shocking thing he could have said to me. And uh, as more, uh, Matt's going to blog about this, and we're going to link, uh, hopefully, to the indictment. So we'll try to give you the most uh, up-to-date information. But this is certainly in the uh, Silicon Valley world has exploded. So all I can say is I'm sure there will be more to come. All right, Tom. Thank you very much. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. If you have any questions, you can email me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. You can email Matt at mkelly at radicalcompliance.com. Also, check out the show notes where I have additional resources available in forms of blog posts written by Matt or myself. I hope you'll join Matt and I again next week where we take another deep dive, literally going into the compliance weeds. Compliance Into the Weeds is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network and proud member of C-Suite Radio. We look forward to visiting with you again. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.